Well, we have reached the point in our study of the book of Isaiah where we are at the tail end of the oracles or the warnings against various countries. If you were to, I know, I'm, I'm thrilled too, believe me. Um, if you were to go through and go back and look, Isaiah chapter 13 is where these oracles started. It's where these, uh, um, uh, the, the, these woes started. So it's Isaiah chapter 13 all the way through to Isaiah chapter 23. And this morning, we are in 23. Now, this particular prophecy, this oracle, this woe, concerns Tyre. Do you know what Tyre is? Do you know where Tyre is? Uh, Phoenicia. Phoenicia. Oh, good. That helped. <laughs> along the coast. By the sea, along the coast. The Jerusalem's here, and it's like over here. All of these are very helpful to me. Here, let's do this. Uh-oh, there we go. This wonderful map looked really great on a small screen. Up on the big screen, it's not so helpful. But... I will show you in the bottom, right, bottom left-hand side, is Egypt. Just up from that is Philistia, Judah, Edom, Moab. The little blue in the center is the Dead Sea. Then you go up, Israel. The big green in the upper right-hand side is Aram. And then the left, along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, in that yellow, is Phoenicia, along the coast. And there's a town called Tyre, and you see the little black dot that's near the H in Phoenicia, and a town called Sidon, which is the little black dot just above the E in Phoenicia, and Tyre and Sidon are along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. They're about 20 miles separated from each other. Now, Tyre is what this oracle is about, but it's basically all about this area, okay? Now, here's one other picture that I wanted to show you. In my studies and learning about Tyre, I learned that Tyre was a port city. Tyre was actually a city on the coast, but there was also an island just off of the coast. It's about, I want to say, three miles off the coast. And there was a fortress on the island. And then the harbor for Tyre was in between the coast and the island. The main part of the city at the time of Isaiah was on the mainland. But there was this fortress in the island and the water was relatively shallow so that they could get by, get through it um, to get to the island. And the reason that it looks like this today, this Basically a, a peninsula instead of an island and a coast. Because that whole area is Tyre. Is back in the year 300 when Alexander the Great was trying to defeat Tyre. The people all gathered from their dwellings on the coast. And went to the fortress in the island and said we can wait it out. And Alexander said... I have all the resources in the world because I'm the king of the world at this point and I can wait you out. And they waited and they waited and they waited. And while they waited, Alexander got his men together and they began taking apart buildings and big huge boulders and dirt 
And anything else, have you heard of, heard of clean landfill, clean fill? They started dumping it into the ocean. Little by little, creating a bridge to get from the land to the island. So that Alexander's army could then march out to the island and lay siege and finally take over Tyre. Well, once you build something like that, you don't go back and take it apart and put it back. So this land bridge that went from the coast to the island stayed there. And then currents doing what they normally would do would bring sand and silt and shells and small rocks and pieces of driftwood. And little by little through the centuries, that land bridge turned into this. This is the Google map, a picture of the Google map of Tyre today. So Alexander's land bridge has become the continent. And the island no longer exists as an island. It's now part of the continent. Okay? Now, when you go back and look at these maps, you don't see that little thing jutting out. Okay? And if you look at other maps, you're not going to see that thing jutting out. It's not, it's insignificant. All it was was a small island. But that's why that looks like that. Now, what does that have to do with anything? It gives us an understanding of the history of Tyre. And you need to understand that the history of Tyre is, has been the point of research for scholars for centuries relating to Isaiah chapter 23. You see, the Assyrians who were in charge before the Babylonians, who were in charge before the Greeks, all three have laid siege to Tyre. All three have done bad things and beat them up and tore up stuff and destroyed things, except that when Alexander did it, they finally decimated their economy, decimated everything, and then finally, Tyre has survived as a city, but it's nothing like it was, okay? Well, what was it? Okay, because... Some their scholars are, are, are totally, totally gridlocked when it comes to trying to identify. Was it the Assyrians that, Al, that Isaiah was talking about? Was it the Babylonians that Isaiah was talking about? Was it Alexander the Great that Isaiah was talking about? Or is it some future event that Isaiah is talking about? There is no definitive answer. So I don't even pretend to tell you this morning that what this is saying in Isaiah chapter 23 is talking about any one of those events. What I can tell you is this. Tyre was a major seaport. Tyre was a major center of trade. Tyre was part of what is now known as Syria, what was part of Phoenicia, which was part of the Lebanon area. And if you will take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. You don't have to turn there, but just I'll read it to you. But 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 and 12, it says... When Hiram, the king of Tyre, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. So what we have heard now is that Hiram, the king of Tyre, had a good relationship with King David, and he's now wanting to have a good relationship with King Solomon. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. 
You know that because of the wars waged against my father David from all the sides, he couldn't build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord has put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there's no adversary or disaster. And I intend, therefore, to build a temple in the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in your place, will build the temple for my name. So give orders that cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours. I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased and he said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I have received the message you sent me, and I will do all you want in providing the cedar and pine logs. My men will haul them down from Lebanon to the sea. I will float them in rafts by sea to the place that you specify, and there I will separate them, and you can then take them away. And you are to grant my wish by providing food for my royal household. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar and pine logs that he wanted, and Solomon kept Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year after year. So, what this is telling us is that Tyre was the place that provided all of the materials so that the temple could be built in Solomon's time. Then, if you go to, (coughs) excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, we see King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, He loved Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Sidonians and Hittites. Doesn't sound like a problem, except look at verse 2. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And we know from the story, we don't have time now. Well, let's let's just look at verse 5 real quick. It says... Verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his David father David had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And if you think about it, Molech was the guy that they threw their babies into the fire in order to, to worship Molech. And Ashtoreth was a, a fertility goddess. If you remember the story of the Baals, the Baal and the Ashtoreth, this was a male and female goddess that would bring fertility to all of the, 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 the land. And so they worshipped through having sexual relationships in the temple where the, where the Ashtoreth were, uh, was worshipped. So all of this was brought into Solomon's house because of his relationship with Tyre. Then if you go to 2 Kings chapter 23... Verse 13, we learn, hundreds of years later, King Josiah, who was a good king and who cleaned up the mess that had been left to him. Verse 13, it says, King Josiah um, desecrated the high places that were east of Jerusalem on the south of the hill of corruption. The ones King Solomon had built for Ashtoreth, the vile goddess of the Sidonians. See, 
it lasted hundreds of years, the influence of this relationship with the the Tyrians, the Sidonians. It ended up adulterating the worship of the Jewish people to the point where Josiah, uh, hundreds of years later, was having to destroy the worship spaces. But then, if we go into Ezra chapter 3 verse 7, we see that money was given to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the second temple could be built. It's interesting. They're the only source. They're not necessarily bad people, but they are a bad influence. And you, they had to be guarded against But they didn't get guarded against properly. And the end result was the nation of Israel suffered because they turned their heart away from God. That's why the exile happened, folks. That's why all of the bad things that happened in the the Old Testament to the people of Israel was because they turned their heart away from God. And it was all a, a result of a relationship, a business relationship with a group of people who were the sole providers. Okay, if you want to have cedar, if you want to have pine logs, there's one place in that part of the world to get them. And that was from Tyre. You see, Tyre had made this incredible worldwide market for their logs and all of their other resources. If you were to study this, there's literally all along the Mediterranean coast, as far as the, as far as the peninsula of Spain, there were colonies by the Phoenicians, by the Tyronians, by the Sidonians, who had set up these places of trade all along the Mediterranean. And the the, the city of Tyre is known, and the the, the Sidonians were known, (coughs) excuse me, for their fleets of ships that were able to travel long distances. This was incredible, incredible that they had in that time of, 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 of of the human history the ability to travel on the open sea like that But as a result of being a sole source and having the material, the manpower, and the navy to be able to float it out to where it needs to be, Tyre became this fabulously wealthy economy. And everyone turned to Tyre because they had what they needed. And the end result was Tyre's culture negatively influenced the people of God because they didn't guard against it. So you have to do business, but you have to guard against allowing the business practice or the the lifestyle of business that that you're doing business with to come into and encroach into who you are. That's what we're reading here in Isaiah chapter 23 is the time came for God to say enough. There is going to come a time because I am God of all gods. I am God. Ashtoreth is not God. I am God. Molech is not God. I am God. Baal is not God. And you want to see what happens? If you turn to Isaiah chapter 23, verse, uh, I want to say it's 11, 9, 9. Isaiah 23, 9. The Lord Almighty has planned this to bring low the pride of all glory and to humble all who are renowned on the earth. God himself is saying through his prophet Isaiah, there is going to come a point, O Tyre, you great, fabulous, glorious, wealthy, economic giant. There's going to come time when you're going to be 
chopped off at the knees. And we don't have time this morning to go through all of these different things uh, verse by verse by verse. But understand that that's what God is saying to them. And then if you go down to verse, um, verse 15, it says, Then there's going to be a time Tyre is going to be forgotten. This great, fabulous world power, not, not, not political power, but economic power, is going to be forgotten for 70 years. But then they'll rise back up. And they will be back to what they were before. Or at least they'll be pretty, pretty good again. But at, the, at verse 17, but at the end of the 70 years, something's going to be different. She's going to return to her hire. They, here they talk about as a prostitute. In other words, she's just with everybody and everybody, whoever's got the money to pay. But, verse 18, her profit, her earnings will be, what does your verse say? What does your Bible say? Set apart. Does everybody say set apart? Who's looking at it? Okay. Her profits and her earnings will be set apart for the Lord. Her profits will go to those who live before the Lord for abundant food and for fine clothes. That word set apart is the, is the Hebrew word kadosh, which means holy. It's the same word kadosh that is found on the brass plate that hangs from the high priest's turban while he's ministering in the Holy of Holies in the temple of the Lord God. It says, holy unto the Lord. This same idea that tires wealth, tires economic standing, is all going to come back to them, but the second time around, it's going to be God's. He will have proven himself as God. And he will declare and determine where that wealth is going to be spent and used and stored. Because he is God and he declares their wealth will be kadosh to the Lord. Set apart, sanctified, holy to the Lord. What does that have to do with us today? What does this mean? Well, first of all, if you look at this to just wrap up this little look at verses uh, chapters 13 through 23. Chapter 20, 13 is talking about Babylon. Babylon was the great political power in the, in the east. Tyre was the great economic power in the west, in this region. And Jesus, or, uh, Jesus through Isaiah, is saying, all of it, all of it is mine. All the political power, all the economic power, and everything in between. It's all mine, people. Don't put your hope in anything but me. Don't look to them for your strength. Don't look to them for your resources. Don't look to them for your political understanding. Don't look to them for your religious training. You look to me and me alone. You keep your eyes focused on me. The earth is mine and the fullness of that earth is mine and I will declare who, what, when, where, why and how it is to be distributed you keep your focus on me you keep your attention on me that's your job, people of God so that's what Isaiah is saying to the Israelites to the Judeans during these last 11 chapters and it's wrapping it up with this one because why, why would the last one be money? Why would the last don't put your trust in be money? Hmm. 
Do you find anything that might work in your life, people? If God were to say to you today that 50000 you have stored up in your IRA is mine, give it to the church tomorrow, you'd do a little puckering, wouldn't you? Well, God, I'm supposed to be a good steward over my house. I'm supposed to provide for my family. I've worked long and hard for this. I've been wise. I've sought counsel. I've gone to Christian financial advisors. And this is what they've told me I need to do to set up for our, account, for our retirement. And the Lord says, you can't trust me for your retirement? And besides, where, what chapter and verse did you ever read about retirement in my book? See, we in West, in the Western culture, we have one of the greatest, and I don't mean greatest in a good way, we have one of the greatest barricades to trusting God than any place else. I've got friends that, that just came back from Nicaragua who, who are doing a missions trip down there. I personally have been in parts of the world Papua New Guinea, Philippines, and various other places where they are striving just to find food for the feed their family. Where in my case, it's like, which brand of cereal do I want to eat this morning? Oh my goodness, I don't have any milk in my refrigerator. Let me go down to my other refrigerator and get another jug of milk. In my case, I'm not fabulously wealthy when it comes to com comparing to the rest of the United States. As a matter of fact, I'm... I'm middle ground or lower economic level. That's who I am. I don't have a lot of savings. I don't have a lot. I mean, if there was a financial crash, we'd be hurting after a couple months. But you did hear that I could stay for a couple months. See, there are people who are hand to mouth, day to day, moment by moment. Where's the next meal going to come from? How am I going to get shelter tonight? What am I going to do to provide shoes for my kids? Because they have to trust God 100% all the time. See, we don't have to trust God. We can put gas in our gas tank and know that I've got another 21 miles worth of gas at least. My light came on, but I'm okay. I can make it to the hot springs gas. Plenty of time. But see, we have, we have learned through our culture to be at ease. We have nice homes, warm homes, stores of food, money in the bank. It's a nice home compared to some else. <laughs> yes, they could easily. I lived in an apartment all by myself before Renee and I got married. And downstairs, the exact same square footage held 17 people. We live very well. And the, the situation is is that if God were to ask you to give, however hard it is to let go, is how really sanctified you are. How really holy you are living. Because as I just showed the kids, the law says one out of every ten goes to God. But the reality for Christians is, it's all His. And he can call for it at any time. Our house, our car, our clothes, everything.
Do you trust him enough that you would be willing and able to say, yes, Lord, and release whatever it is he's asking without hesitation, without fear and anxiety of how am I going to make it without this? Because anytime you have a hard time letting go of that, whatever that is, that is your ashtoreth. That is your molech. That is your bale. And it is polluting and adulterating your holy unto the Lord religion. And God has shown through his word that he will cut that off at its knees. It is our responsibility as Christians to honor God 100%. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, all of your money, all of your stuff, all of your house. All of it. What if you have a really nice car and you've only made three payments on it and God said to give it to your next door neighbor and you continue to make payments? Yeah, what? I have spent a long time looking at my house and saying, do I really need this stuff? Now, I'm not going to have a garage sale next week. This has been years in the making. But I have prayed over just about everything in my house and said, Lord, do I really need this? Is it okay if I have it? Because see, that's the thing. I still have a couple of coins in my pocket from the children's sermon, okay? It wasn't that I'm not allowed to have. It's what God says I can have. Because God may have a purpose for me having this. So it's okay if I have curtains on my windows. It's okay if I have little nice tchotchkes on my shelves. It's whatever God says it's okay. But when it gets to the point where I can't get rid of it, even though I sense God asking me to, That's where the problem is. If God has said, I want to bless you, I want to let you have these nice things, then say, thank you, Father. But let it be Him who decides what stays and what goes. Everything, everything, everything must be holy unto the Lord. Kadosh. If it's not, you have some repenting to do. Let's pray.